Well, I'm glad to be here with you. Um, <clears throat> so a couple things, just housekeeping um, type things. So you've heard Simeon Trust uh, mentioned a number of times. That's the website, simeontrust.org. Uh, Simeon Trust exists to uh, train men and women uh, to properly study the words they might communicate it uh, in, in, uh, in a way that uh, captures God's message in that text and so change the church and form the church. So simeontrust.org, they, they do three things. Uh, they do more than that, but these are the three I'm going to highlight. Uh, their bread and butter is the work, the, uh, are the workshops that they, they put on. They do them for women, um, and they do it mostly for men because it started out as a preaching uh, training. But there's a, there's a, annually there's a women's gathering in Chicago. My wife, Sherry Messino, uh, a couple other ladies at the church uh, regularly go. We, we schedule our house calendar around that event and the church calendar around that event because we want them to go so they'll be equipped uh, to, to, to train other ladies. Um, we're also hosting one for men, uh, and you probably saw this on the table. This is the little thing about our upcoming one on Exodus. We're short of guys. So if you know people in your church, you know a preacher that could benefit from, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, sort of sharpening his tools in his preacher's uh, toolkit, uh, have them come. There's some things here on it, but they're also in the other room. <clears throat> I just want to m- mention that. That's November 6th through 8th on Exodus. They, they do it on all different genres, right? So it might be an epistle one year, a narrative the next, poetry the next, wisdom the next, apocalyptic the next, like that. Um, there's also online classes that are spectacular. Um, we have uh, taken uh, all the guys that ha- have either become an elder at this church or are in the process of, of we're training them to be elders through this class. It's online. It goes through all the genres, all those ones I just uh, mentioned and more. Um, and uh, they used to have it where it was you had to buy it in a 30-something week thing. They've simplified it. It's 19 bucks per genre. So you want to like go through with a couple of ladies on how to study wisdom literature, five sessions. Uh, you guys could get together, watch it together, watch it yourself, go over the work together, etc. that kind of a thing. Uh, they've, they've got other classes too, but that one we love, the, the, those different genre classes. Uh, genre, just, you know, the different kinds of, of books of the, of, of the Bible. And then they also have even a Chicago class um, that's more of an intensive for a guy that wants to become a preacher. Uh, that they, uh, they have like an internship there and train them uh, hardcore how to preach. Uh, so there's some really cool things that, the, that they do. Um, who in here uh, is on like the leadership team of a women's ministry? Anybody in here like that? Um, uh, who, has, uh, been, who has like sort of started a Bible study in your church or, or in your neighborhood or anything like that? Okay, so uh, you guys can have other things, but I want to give this to you. Um, this is a great book. It's uh, Ligon Duncan's a Presbyterian uh, pastor. He's one of the four guys that started Together for the Gospel, the big uh, uh, pastors um, uh, every other year conference. And Susan Hunt, who's a, a women's ministry leader, they wrote it together on the value of women's ministry in the local church. It's a great book. I hope that blesses you. <clears throat> okay, so... Um, so like uh, Sarah said a minute ago, this is my first time teaching at Fellowship of the Gospel. Uh, Kathy's helped me plan a ton of them. Uh, we've been doing it for 10 years. It started off as a men's conference. This is our second women's one. Uh, and uh, and I, uh, I love women's ministry. Um, and uh, I got my start in the eldership at our last church, at Kathy's church. 
as the elder who oversaw women's ministry. And I think that was maybe given to me as like, uh, he's the new guy, let's give him women's ministry or something like that. But I came to cherish women's ministry, and, and I thought, these guys don't know what they are missing. So uh, I'm really glad to, to, to teach a breakout here. Um, and because I'm on the <laughs> little team that's planning this, uh, this event, I got to pick what I wanted to, wanted to teach. Um, and I must say, when I first brought up the idea of me teaching an elective session, because it was my idea, um, there were a lot of naysayers. Um, you know, there's a lot of people with puzzled looks on their faith, like it's a women's conference, you know. And uh, <clears throat> But the more I uh, told them about what I wanted to talk about, the, the, they warmed up to it. So here's the title. I think Sarah's already mentioned it, but Her Value, Pastoral Reflections on the Treasure of Women, in the church. Um, and so, uh, contrary to, to uh, different than what I usually do on a Sunday morning, we're going to look at two verses, Hebrews 11, 11 and 12. So if you want to make your way over there, I'm going to read that for us and we can get started. Hebrews 11, 11 and 12. And let me just pray again, ask the Lord to help us. <clears throat> Father, we're grateful uh, that you have given us your word. Thank you, Father. You are under no obligation. You didn't owe us uh, uh, anything, much less revealing uh, your mind, your will, your plan to save your people. Um, But we're so grateful that you did so that we could know you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd help us in this time that we have together, that you would illuminate the text, that you'd give us clarity and understanding so that we might hear you speak to us and so be changed. Oh God, do it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews 11, 11 and 12. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Can I say how much I love the women of the church? I'm sold out for supporting them, equipping them, encouraging them, and pouring myself out so that women in the church can serve God with the fullness of joy in a wide variety of ways, both inside and outside the church. And I think this text uh, has something to say about that very thing. So from from our our two verses here that we're going to spend a little bit of time on, I want to share three things I treasure about my sisters in Christ. Um, And if you've ever heard me preach in this church before, you know that my pattern is to spend way too long on point one and shortchange points two and three, and that's what you're going to see this afternoon. Um, so we're going to spend most of our time on this, this, first, this first thing about uh, how I treasure my sisters in Christ, and it's, uh, I, treasure, I treasure the faith of the women in the church. I, the treasure of women's faith, specifically in God, for the work, for his work. So the treasure of women's faith in God for his work. So let's, let's talk a little bit about Hebrews so we know 
where we're, where we're heading, okay? So the book of Hebrews was written to encourage believers to persevere in their faith in Jesus when they were, th- where, when they were without present visible reason to do so. Again and again, the author gives reasons that, when considered, provide divine power for God's people to continue in the faith. Sometimes he holds up Jesus as supreme in comparison to various elements of, of, uh, uh, of Jewish religion. Uh, for example, the, the Sabbath rest uh, described in chapter 4 pales in comparison to the rest that the Lord Jesus Christ provides. Uh, in, in chapter 10, uh, we, we read about the sacrifices that are so central to the Jewish uh, uh, religious system, but again, uh, can't in the end do what it is that needs to be done, and it requires the sacrifice of Jesus. So that's, that's sometimes the way that the author of the book of Hebrews encourages people of the faith to continue in the faith. Again, when, they, when they're being um, besieged with reasons not to continue, with persecution, with, with depression, with, with, uh, with all kinds of pressures uh, in, in this world. And so that's one of the ways that the, the, the writer encourages people to continue in the faith. Other times the author gives warnings about the danger of abandoning faith in Jesus. And, and Hebrews is kind of famous for those, kind of, those warning passages that we kind of wrestle with, that some of them even sound like maybe you could lose your salvation. And I know that's not right, so what's going on there? Uh, but the writer ca- uh, calls God's people to think about, to meditate on, to consider what would be the result of turning back. What would be the result of abandoning, abandoning your faith? And you see that in, in uh, ch- uh, places like chapter 6, for example. And still other times, perseverance is encouraged by looking back on the faith of those who went before. This is chapter 11's function. This is where we're at. It's often called the hall of faith. You might have heard it uh, called that. Uh, but even just so we don't plunk into chapter 11 and not see how the book is progressing, Listen to a few verses from the end of chapter 10, just to set the stage. These calls to persevere. Uh, Hebrews 10, verse 32. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Down to, down to cha- uh, verse 39 in the same chapter there. We do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. So you've got this great call to persevere at the end of chapter 10. Keep going. No matter, it doesn't matter that you don't see it. You know, faith is believing. Keep going. Keep going. You will be rewarded. After all, we're not of the sort of people, this people of God. We're not of the sort of people that shrink back, that abandon our faith, that turn back to Judaism and things like this. So when we open to chapter 11, then we see a definition of faith. Verse 1, famous verse. I'm going to read it from the NIV because I like the wording of it. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. So faith is being confident in, having assurance in, or conviction, the ESV, conviction about God's abilities and promises that we hope in, but do not see. Because of this, the things we do see 
because of this, the things that we do see ought not to have anything to do with whether or not we keep going. Because the reason that we're on this Christian journey, right? The reason that, that we're in this, this great body of believers in Jesus Christ is not because of things that we see. It's because of things that we don't see. And therefore, the things that trouble us, these things that, are, that we do see, ought to, ha- ought to be inconsequential. We ought to keep our, 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 our soul's eye, if, if you will, on the promises. So, <clears throat> what's more, this faith is what brought about God's commendation or his praise of the people of old who clung to that faith regardless of what their circumstances indicated. So, so we get in this, this, this persevering faith, we get this unimaginable thing that that happens that we actually get god's praise god commends us for our perseverance we please god by when we keep going and 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 now just so that we don't think we don't hear this wrong he doesn't commend us or praise us because of us he commends us because we put our trust not in ourselves but in him he is, he is worthy of praise. The only one worthy of praise. He's the one that gets the glory. And so when we turn to him and say, we don't see it, but we believe he's magnified. And that gives him pleasure. And that's so sweet. And that is the story of all those who have gone before us. The people of old have received his commendation because they persevered in the faith. So the rest of the chapter contains examples of some of those ancients who believed despite what they were unable to see. So verse 4, by faith Abel. Verse 5, by faith Enoch. Verse 6, by faith Noah. Verse 8, by faith Abraham. And finally, by faith Sarah in verse 11. And this is where we're going to spend our time today. Okay, so... Threw my back out something horrible this week at the beginning of the week, and uh, it was—it's the worst I've ever done. I carried something way too heavy. It was stupid of me to do it on Sunday night, and I woke up Monday and I couldn't. St- I mean, Denise saw me. I was like on Tuesday, and I was still, you know, hunched over and a lot of pain, and uh, and it was hard for me to concentrate to write this to to do this study and to write uh, these notes down, and uh, and so. Uh, my, I typically spend a lot of time in, 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 in the text before I go to see what anybody else has to say about the text. And so I kind of had some things in my mind about how this passage was structured and what I wanted to say. And then um, every time I went to grab a commentary, I just I couldn't concentrate. And uh, so finally Thursday at 1 a.m., actually it was Friday, so Thursday night into Friday, I experienced some relief. Some ladies were praying for me, and, uh, and finally I got some relief. And so I'm a night owl anyway, so no problem. So I, I went to work. And, uh, and I went and got, uh, opened up a commentary. And the first commentary I opened up, are you ready for this? Now it's the, the day before the conference starts. I open up the commentary and says, you know, it's a pretty difficult grammatical structure there in verse 11. And it's not really Sarah's faith, but Abraham's faith that's being talked about here. And I'm like... You must be joking me, right? So um, now, in the end, I don't believe that's true. 
so uh, not all commentators land there. But I do want to let you know that there is uh, some, some uh, difference of opinion about this text. Um, <clears throat> so uh, some scholars, as, I, uh, as I've said, see Abraham as the subject of verse 11, though his name's not there and there's no personal pron- uh, um, masculine personal pronoun there. Um, they see it as Abraham's faith because of the phrase power to conceive in verse 11. <clears throat> that phrase literally means the power to deposit semen or seed, and hence their conclusion. These scholars see the verse to be read like this, By faith he, together with Sarah, received power to conceive. But as I said, I've, I'm unconvinced. I believe verse 11 is speaking clearly about Sarah's faith. But whether you, uh, whether you agree with me or you agree with uh, some commentators that uh, look at it the other way. I don't think it really changes the the message uh, of these verses, um, <clears throat> because uh, because Abraham and Sarah together believed God for this. Um, and uh, so I like the way Tom Schreiner, he's a professor at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He's a, a noted author and commentator, Greek scholar. He wrote this. This is his conclusion about the way forward. In either case, the gift of having children is due to faith on the part of both Abraham and Sarah. The God who promised that they would have children was considered to be faithful, and the miraculous took place. So there you go. There's your little side note on the complexity of the verse. Uh, But I'm moving forward and talking about Sarah's faith, so let's talk about it. She saw herself firstly, first of all, she saw herself clearly. Sarah saw herself clearly. She saw herself as lowly and powerless. Look at verse 11 again. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age. Past the normal childbearing age is the sense here. Remember that when the promise of a son was given uh, back in Genesis 17, Abraham was 99 and and Sarah was 90. Uh, We see that in, in Genesis 17, 1 and 17. One chapter later in Genesis 18, 17, Sarah, after hearing this uh, said, says, uh, responds with these words, After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have this pleasure? Well, there's nothing Sarah could see in herself, or in her husband for that matter, that would make it reasonable for her to start preparing for motherhood. Nothing, nothing that she could see that would that would that would make her think I should start you know buying up some diapers and preparing a nursery and, and these kinds of things that we would do today. She saw herself clearly. She saw herself as having no power to conceive. She had no ability to bring God's wild promise of a son to this barren couple. You know, um, in Genesis chapter twelve, that's when uh, God first appears to Abraham and makes those crazy, impossible awesome promises uh, that this old barren couple is not only going to have a son, but a a great people is going to come from them, right? And uh, what's interesting is if you look at the end of Genesis chapter 11, it gives you like a little family tree of Abraham and, and you can't read a clause of one of the verses without it saying something about somebody being somebody's father or having a son or, or a daughter or sister, I think is in there as well. And then it gets to Abraham and Sarah and, and, and sticking out like a sore thumb, it says she was barren and could have no children. And then the promise is made. So, we get the, so, so you, get the, you get the scene. You get, you get the setup for how Sarah sees herself 
uh, clearly, but she also saw God clearly, or rather we might say she heard God clearly. Uh, uh, Back in that Genesis 12 passage in verse 2, God had promised to bring forth a great nation from Abraham and Sarah's union. And in Genesis 17, 16, God had said this to Abraham. And just try to step inside Sarah's shoes for a moment. And just the, you know, just the, the, the curse it was seen to not have children in that day. And, uh, and the, the, the pariah she would have been in her community. And the hopelessness of not having a son to take care of them in their old age. So God said this to Abraham, I will bless her, that is Sarah. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. What a promise. She heard that promise. So she heard God clearly, right? Friends, there was no evidence that this could happen. But Sarah nevertheless believed. Look at that, that, great, that great sentence at the end of verse 11 there. She considered him faithful who had promised. She heard God clear, clearly and, and, and in her faith said, God is trustworthy. I can believe him. He's faithful. Now, she didn't believe at first, and commentators love to, to park here and and uh, make much of this. Uh, when, it, when it didn't happen, she gave Abraham her maidservant Hagar and tried to manufacture a son of promise in that way. It's not that he was you know, some unwitting uh, accomplice. Uh, he certainly was in on that as well. And when she heard the promise again in Genesis 18, 12, she laughed incredulously. But at some point, she, like Abraham, believed there was nothing too hard for God. And she believed that he was faithful to do what he promised, even if there was no earthly reason to believe. But Sarah was one of our ancestors who believed in God because her hope was not in what was seen, but in God who is unseen. God was pleased by her faith. He commended her faith and he gave her power to conceive. He gave her something that she herself could not do. She could add nothing to this. It was God's gift and came from him alone. God had promised what was impossible in her weakness, and she did what people of faith were given the power to do. Consider God trustworthy and believe he will do what they cannot. Now, we don't presume upon God. Let's be clear about this. We're not promised that anyone in this room or somebody that we know will have a child when they've had great difficulty trying. We're not promised that that somebody will uh, have uh, cancer taken from their body. We're not promised that you won't struggle month by month to try to make ends meet, never seeming to have what's what's required to have a good full uh, week worth worth of meals. We're not given the promises uh, of these things. And so it's not simply the power of our faith that makes things happen because we want them to happen. That's not what we're talking about. Though clearly she wanted a baby, right? The, 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 the thing that we're talking about here is believing in God's promises, the things that he does promise his people that he will do. 
even if we're skeptical at first, like Sarah, it's believing that he is faithful. That the things that he has said about building his church, the things that he has said about drawing near to his people, the things that he has said about, about making his people holy, these things, these promises, we put our faith in them. God is pleased with his people and will give his power to bring those things to pass. Think of some of the humanly impossible things that God calls women to do in the scriptures. And I say women, he calls all people to do some of these things, but particularly women are called to do these things. So think about some of these impossible tasks. Go and make disciples, Matthew 28. But let me put put it in more impossible sounding language. Go make disciples among people who are naturally disposed to hate God and people that carry his gospel among people who are spiritually unable to understand you and see your mission as absurd. Friends, go make disciples. How impossible a task that is, right? Win over an unbelieving husband by living a holy life before him, demonstrating that your devotion to God is not merely word service. It's 1 Peter 3. Go win your unbelieving husband. The one that is fighting you when you want to go to church is, is uh, refusing to let you tithe and, and doesn't want you to use your talents and your gifts and your time uh, to serve other people in the church. Go, win them over. What about Titus's call to transform the terrible reputation of the church and protect families from spiritual harm by training younger women in how and why they are to live godly lives. Boy, that's a tall order, isn't it? Anybody ever been in a church with a bad reputation? This one had a bad reputation. It was known for church splits, known for trouble. Anybody that lives within 10 miles of here used to go here. It had a bad reputation. And yet God calls women to be a key part in, in, in rescuing Jesus' reputation. And, uh, and, you know, that's a tall order. If these daunting massive goals are to be met by women just like you, you're going to have to fix your gaze not on the hurdles, not on the naysayers, not on the difficulty of the task, but on the one who has made you great and precious promises. You're going to have to consider him worthy of trusting. And as you consider starting a women's Bible study or initiating a mentorship relationship or encouraging your husband to be more faithful or spurring your pastor on to love the women of the church by supporting and equipping them, you need to stop focusing on the impossibility of the task, but on the God who is both able and faithful. Trust him when it seems crazy and the job too big for you, but don't simply trust him in a general way. Not in a, I always put God first kind of generic, you know, way. Trust in his promises. Trust in what he has said. Look at the text there. It says, she considered him faithful who had promised. He had he had verbalized some promises. He had communicated some things that he would do for his people. You know, in his commentary on this verse, John Calvin wrote this. I love this. He's so black and white. He says, There is no faith without God's word. 
For of his faithfulness we cannot be convinced until he has spoken. True faith, then, is that which hears God speaking and rests on his promises. And that's what we're called to do. So allow me for a few minutes now to share some of my pastoral reflections, to to use the title here. Some of my pastoral reflections on the treasure of women in the church. And 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 as I do, I just want to first say that that I believe that the faith of the women in, in, in the local church is worth more than huge financial reserves. It's more important than a new building or even a sanctuary bursting at the seams with a lot of people. The faith of women in the church unleashes God's otherworldly, mind-blowing power. Their belief in the divine promises brings divine aid. Let me share some examples with you. You know, there's several ladies uh, in our church that gather on Monday mornings for prayer. And they've been doing it long before I got here. And part of their prayer was that God would rebuild this church, would revitalize it, would bring stability to her and health to her. And as a result, God has been pleased to pour out his life-giving blessing into this church. Not because I'm here. I'm a spectator. I'm on the bus. He's driving. It's been amazing. You know, we had a couple in our, in, in our first year here. We had a young couple, unmarried. They had a, a kid together, living together. And uh, they just decided one day that they ought to go to church. And so they Googled what the closest church to them was, and it was this one. And they came in and heard the gospel and went home and prayed to receive Christ. And they're members of the church today. They're married. They have two, they're expecting their third kid, as a matter of fact. And, uh, and this, is, this is a result of the faith of the women of this church. That's just but one example. You know what else has happened? You know, it's epidemic in the, in the local church that men are not spiritual leaders. It doesn't matter what culture you go to. In Brazil, Russia, here, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what socioeconomic strata you're in. Men, because of the curse and laziness and sin, uh, they're not leading uh, in the church. And you know what has happened in this church? And I have absolutely nothing. To, I'm not, none of these things I'm trying to take credit for. Okay? There has been a spontaneous birthing of these little groups of young men that are getting together at 6 a.m. before work to study the Bible. Nobody told them to do it. There's not a pastor in charge of it. These are just guys that are seeking after Jesus and his word. (laughs) Friends, that's because, in large measure, of the faith of the women in this church. Because those ladies in that little prayer room have not given up on God. They have been praying that God would breathe his life into this church. And waiting patiently, expectantly, knowingly that it would happen. And, and we're seeing these very things happen. A revival of the men in this church. It's incredible. You know, <clears throat> one of the things that happened uh, as a result of this new life in the church is, uh, well, first of all, let me set it up. When I got here, Margie will test to this, um, uh, I was, well, I'm 51 now. I've been here almost seven years um, so I was in my mid-40s when I came. And I was a young person when I came, right, Margie? I was bringing youth into the church. I was looked at as a young man in the church. 
Not so today. These, these gals' husbands and, and guys like them uh, are the young guys uh, in the church. But as young people came to the church, we've got tons of, of, of young couples and young families now. Praise God for it. One of the concerns I started to have was that um, you had older ULBC over here and new young ULBC over here and them not developing relationships and coming together in unity. Uh, I was fearful of that, and, uh, and, and the elders and, and, and I were concerned about it, and we, we talked about it, we strategized about it, we thought about it, we prayed about it, and, uh, and so this one idea came up, and uh, it was my idea, and, 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 and I come up with a lot of ideas, and a lot of them aren't, aren't very good, um, but, uh, but I... I shared this idea, and it went over like a lead balloon at first. Um, we had this, uh, this this very successful parachurch organization that held a women's Bible study here. They did it for 20-something years in this church. All throughout the school year, once a week, it was wildly successful. Hundreds of ladies came to it from various churches, etc. Um, and I'm not here to speak badly about that. Um, but the result of that, uh, long term of that organization being here is we didn't have any women teachers, and um, and so I shared this idea that why don't we instead of having that in our church why don't we start our own little women's Bible study an expository women's Bible study verse by verse and uh, it wasn't a very popular idea and there were a lot of people that thought no way and you know what <clears throat> I shared this idea with the women of the church and they were excited about it and believed that God would build his church if we poured into the women of the church, if we equipped the women to be teachers. And you know what has happened? Not only do we now have women teachers, adult teachers, we've, had, we've always had children's teachers, but adult, uh, women adult teachers, not only do we have a half a dozen of them now, and we, we had none a minute ago, I'm, I, I, and, but we've also seen these, these generations come together, study God's word, grow and mature in Christ, and grow in their love for one another. And it's been extraordinary. And, and, and I'm not trying to take credit for this. What I'm trying to say is I believe that this is largely based on the faith of the women in this church. So be encouraged. Be encouraged by Sarah's faith and be encouraged by some contemporary examples of it. This is, these are my pastoral reflections on, uh, on Sarah's sitch happening here. Okay, and uh, and I could go on, and 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 I don't have <laughs> the time to do so. Um, you know, my wife coming with me to this church was a big deal, uh, and it's not like she was reticent to do so. She was gun ho happy to do it, but she believed that God would grow this church, and uh, and her faith in her Savior is one of the reasons He's doing just that. Okay, so that's my first statement, the overwhelming majority of my talk, right? Uh, on, <laughs> about the extraordinary value of women in the church. Their worth is seen in the treasure of their faith in God for his work. Point two, their worth is also seen in the treasure of their unique gifts. Their unique gifts from God for his work. Now, I have just, just barely enough time to mention this in passing. But consider how the faith of Sarah is framed in the text, in the biblical text, how the faith of Sarah is framed by the faith of Abraham. Verses 8 through 10 talk about Abraham going to a foreign land by faith in God who promised to give it to him. 
Then we move verse 11 to Sarah's faith. That's what we're talking about now. Only to return in, in, in verse 12 to emphasize Abraham again. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants. You see, I want you to picture this sandwich. Abraham, Sarah, back to Abraham, okay? I think it's purposeful by the, by the author. Notice the uniqueness and the complementary nature of Sarah's part in God's plan. Just as Abraham was given the ability to produce descendants in keeping with God's promise, so Sarah was given a corresponding ability to conceive. He was as good as dead, and she was barren, worn out, to use her words, past the time for such things, even if she had been able to in the first thing. But while they were similar in their incapacity... They were different in their God-given abilities. Only Sarah could conceive, carry, and birth the child of promise. He, uh, uh, her giftedness is unique and beautiful and necessary for God's plan. You see that? I mean, I know I'm talking about physical things here, but I think it demonstrates a spiritual reality of this uniqueness and complementary nature of the giftedness of women. And so it is that God uses faithful women to use their distinctive desires and sensitivities and talents to bring foundational blessings to the church that could not be accomplished without them. The church cannot be built up to the fullness of the stature of Christ himself, from Ephesians, right, that beautiful language, if only men are doing ministry. It'll be a lopsided perverted, not Christ-like entity. The church needs the giftedness of her women. And God has, in His wisdom and His grace, given those gifts so that we might be the the blessed recipients of the, the ministry of women in the church. Countless times the women of this church have counseled me and pushed me to have a wider perspective than my own. They've caused me to see the breadth of the Scripture's uh, teaching more clearly and to see the needs of God's people more keenly. Time and again, I have received good counsel from the women of our church to talk about life issues more, to, to, to talk more about relationships, to, to, to be more specific in my applications, and, and on and on I could go. Oh, how I treasure the women of the church, their faith and their giftedness. And that's just a total short change on that point. But finally, let me mention the treasure of women's role. I know that sounds like the same thing as the second point, but it's different. The treasure of women's role in moving towards God's in moving toward God's greater work. The treasure of women's role in moving toward God's greater work. Look at verse 12, the second half there. There were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. That's a big promise. That Abraham and Sarah, not only at their old age, would conceive a kid, but there would be countless, innumerable, too many to try to figure out how many of them there were that will come from their union, from Abraham and Sarah. Because of Sarah's faith in God's word and because of God giving her power to use the gift that he gave her, she played a vital role in God's great and glorious redemptive plan. Remember what 
He promised uh, Abraham and Sarah in Genesis chapter 12, one of the great things would be this, this great multitude, this great people, this great nation that would come from them, but it would also be the source of blessing to the world. And we see that partially fulfilled throughout the narratives of the Old Testament, but finally fulfilled in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Sarah was not the mother of Jesus. But God was faithful to give her generations of descendants, creating a lineage through which he would come. God's great redemptive promise to save sinners, to restore them to his holy family through the substitute death of his son. Sarah played a huge part, a foundational part, a necessary part in God's greater plan of redemption. And it was through her faith and her giftedness that God empowered her to be that piece in his grand puzzle. What a privilege to serve a God like that. To see ourselves as these really important pieces, even though it's small. You know, Sarah was nobody from nowhere, right? She was a pagan. She, she had nothing to do with God or, or she, had, she, had, she, she had no part in the, the lineage. I mean, she, she was just nobody. This inconsequential couple that couldn't have a kid. And her faith played a building block, a foundational role in Jesus Christ coming into the world to save sinners. I want you to see your faith story like hers. Learn from that example, right? That, that, that God can use you in, in, in incredible ways. And in so doing, allow you to play a vital role in what He is doing in building His church. How might God use you? What, what, what thing is too big for you to do, but, but that you dream of doing for Him because He said He'd bless those sorts of things? Learn from Sarah's story. She was a, as I said, she was a nobody. But here she is in the hall of faith with names like the most famous names in the Bible. If you ask somebody that's not a Christian, that's never been to church, name somebody famous in the Bible, they're right here surrounding her. Noah, Moses, Abraham. They probably wouldn't come up with Enoch, but you get the point. So may her example serve to encourage you to hold firm to your faith in God and His great promises, regardless of how bleak your circumstances might from time to time appear. Know that He's faithful. Trust Him. Keep going. And He'll use you greatly. I'm sure of it. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I pray that You'd build Your church. You're so great. You're greatly to be praised and you let us be part of this grand plan. This plan to bring glory to Jesus Christ as we play some small part, but as we find out these small parts are are huge parts. So God, I pray that you give us faith, that you give us vision, that that you'd help us to Be assured of the things that we cannot see because you have promised that they will come about. Oh God, do it. Build your church. Give your people faith. Change these women and the churches that they represent for your glory, for their good. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.